Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Okay, hello, and welcome to Confessions of a Reformer. I'm so glad you guys are here. Um, as you know, I've been on a journey in the deconstruction space. I've got a special guest here today. I want to just keep this intro nice and brief so we can just get right into it. Um, but this is somebody that I found along my journey of you know, processing things in the church and Christianity and religion and her ability to articulate these things, the level of competency and intelligence that she's bringing. I think the integrity and the nuance that she brings, I'm just so impressed and blown away by this person. She is a thought leader. She is going to freak you out. I'm sure going to blow your minds. However it is you experience this. So I'm excited. I'm going to introduce you guys to her, but real quick, before we get into this, I just want to remind you every guest I have on my podcast, I tell them they have permission to say whatever they want to say. So I'm not censoring this interview. I told her, please share whatever you want to say, however you want to say it. And then, you know, we all just get to work out. What do you want to do is what she said. If, are you offended? Do you disagree? Like, you get to work that out and that's on you. She gets to have free reign to just say whatever she wants. I ran into Joe a year ago now. So I've been listening to her for a while. I've been watching her. I've been shocked. Um, I never got offended enough to unfollow. Apparently that does happen. I've, but I've definitely been offended a few times. I'm like, what the heck? How is she saying that? What does that even mean? And as I just continued to like lean into the conversation, I found myself like the thing coming up in me actually being the issue, not what Joe was saying. So I'm, I have mad respect for Joe, the work she's doing, what she has to say about this stuff. So I want you guys to give your attention to Joe. Um, would you please welcome to the podcast, Miss Joe Lewin. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Mike. That happens a lot with people. That happens a lot. That what I say hits them in such a way that they get absolutely offended, which I understand. Like, it doesn't offend me that I offend people. Uh, the reality is that I'm making them uncomfortable. And you and I had a conversation about this. So let me go, let me get into it so that people can be... Sure ready for what's going to happen. It, this was really helpful for me to learn because everything that I'm speaking about is not something that I have learned just in books, though. Yeah, I've, I've read a lot about these, but also these are experiences that I've had. So I was an evangelical pastor. I worked inside of a church. I have a master's degree. I did all the things, right? I got ordained. I did everything to be able to get ordained as a woman inside of a world where women are not super welcome. I started deconstructing and I learned a couple of things about our brain. And the first one I learned is something really interesting called the backfire effect. The backfire effect is this thing that happens in our brain is our nervous system is uh, it, it's an incredibly evolved system that has evolved through you know, hundreds of thousands of years to try to protect us, to keep us alive. It's, it's a survival mechanism. So the backfire effect is this thing that when you are confronted with information that challenges your reality, that challenges your entire belief system, that challenges deeply held beliefs, your nervous system responds to that in the same way that it would to the threat of a bear attacking you. The part of the brain that is in charge of logic, the part of the brain that is in charge of making decisions, of rational thinking, shuts down completely. And you just want to defend this belief. You think that you're being attacked personally, not your belief, but you 
personally. So you stop actually listening to the person that is talking to you. And you are just, your brain is just saying, defend yourself. And so you start doubling down on these beliefs without really considering whether they are helpful or true or what the other person, you, you're not considering what the other person is saying. When you've been raised inside of a theology that has taught you that everything outside of that theology is bad or evil, the moment that somebody confronts you with how this theology can actually be harmful, your brain shuts down immediately. So there is a surge of adrenaline that goes through your body. There is a lot of things that happen all over your body. Your, your, even your stomach, your uh, digestive system shuts down and all you're thinking is I need to defend my beliefs. So that keeps you from being able to actually learn new information. Changing our mind is a good thing. Being able to have the ability to listen to new information without being activated is a good thing. I learned too that it takes 90 seconds for this reaction to move through your body if you're able to stop trying to defend yourself. So sometimes when I do work with different people or different organizations, and I can notice that people are getting very uncomfortable with what I'm saying, I can notice that they're active, like their backfire effect has been activated. I take a 90 second break, you know, I say, hey, let's, or a five minute break. I say, hey, let's take a five minute break. Let's, let's play a game. And a way to switch your brain is to start asking questions about colors or uh, your favorite food or what are smells that you like. Because when you start thinking about the smells that you like, or the foods that you like, you start actually activating your rational part of the brain again. So you're basically tricking your brain into listening again. And you have to do that every time you're having conversations with people that you don't necessarily see eye to eye with. So this was helpful for me, not just in regards to deconstructing my faith, but this has been helpful for me in regards to having conversations with people in regards to, I spent six weeks in Turkey and in you know, sitting down with Muslim people and listening to them after a lifetime of being told that Muslim people were dangerous. Uh, and I learned so much and it was so beautiful. And this wow. is helpful for me in meeting with my children. I, I know that they are activated. So I ask him, it's really cute. Doing it with children is really cute. When you ask him, I forgot, what's your favorite color again? What's your favorite smell? And you start talking about your favorite smell. And when they are, when they are completely activated, people call that tantrums, but it's just their nervous system is fully activated you can see their nervous system calm down slowly. Instead of doubling down, I'm being like, why are you screaming? Why are you screaming? They're screaming because they're activated. Their, their brain isn't even thinking and their brain is not fully developed. So it's even worse. So that was the first thing I learned, the backfire effect. And that was helpful. So be mindful of that as I am going to share things that might just feel really uncomfortable for you. I'm already going to be, I'm taking notes already as you're talking, but when we chat, so you guys, I met Joe in person a couple of months ago when I first moved to Nashville, she came out and did an event and just by way of whatever we got to connect. Um, we talked about this. You told me, uh, sorry, when you said this to me, I've noticed already, like on social media, in conversations, this very thing, I'm like, oh my God, this is so true. And we, we already observed the cause and effect of this. We just didn't have understanding, but this is absolutely going on. When you see the debates online, people are just reacting from that place and fighting. And they're not, no one's listening to each other. They're just like hitting each other from their own survival. Totally. I see that. It's so barbaric and absurd. We're not being constructive. We're actually taking ground by, anyway. So that was so helpful to know. You also mentioned when we talked about this, that when people are in that state and you're trying to give them, 
you know, sport idea, they actually doubled down on the beliefs they're defending, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. That's so true. That just blew my mind. Anyway, sorry. I just wanted to chime that in. Imagine if we all knew that about ourselves too, you know, if we could just say, hey, actually, I'm really activated right now. I'm not listening to you anymore. Like how our relationships would be just so much better if we were aware. And, and I'm sure that you can feel it. If you pay enough attention, you can feel the surge of adrenaline. You can feel your body changing you can feel your brain shutting down your your face starts getting flushed you get us a lot of blood that just moves you feel all these things if you pay attention if you are aware of neurochemistry and neuroscience it's so helpful and i try to teach my kids too but the other thing i learned about is the reticular activating system it's kind of a filter so thoughts coming to your brain and when or ideas new ideas coming to your brain somebody's sharing new ideas with you and if they are against everything that you've ever believed <laughs> basically your brain grabs them and discards them as a mechanism. You believe that all people, for instance, I'm going to give you an example that was something for me. I was told that gay people were depraved, for instance, growing up. And I believe that because I was told that, which is really interesting as a bisexual person, because you have this self-hatred that is there and you're like, there is this depravity inside of me. And then any information that contradicted that. So when I saw gay couples that were loving and respectful, and I was seeing things that I was like, this is not what I've been told. My brain discarded that. My, it just takes it and goes, oh, that, that's not real. That's not happening. When you are presented with information that challenges, like actively challenges what you've been told is absolute truth, your brain as a mechanism of protection, not because you're bad or anything like that, is going to just whoop, discard it. Like, nope, I'm not going to, I don't, that's not true, period. Uh, and you see that happen a lot in the political debates too, right? Uh, you see people when you say socialism is great, for instance, I don't think socialism is great or bad, you know, it's just the system. Um, but you say something about socialism working and people are like, nope, discard it, like absolutely discard it because we've been so conditioned to believe that only capitalism is good, only capitalism works. And so when we say like, look at how capitalism is actually hurting people, people also go, nope, discard it. So we have to be aware of that to be able to have important conversations and to be able to move the world toward what I call heaven on earth, which is a place where everybody has access to be able to expand into the most authentic version of themselves or what I call the Christ. Wow, I love it. Oh gosh, I hope we get into that today. Okay, <laughs> so super helpful, Joe. Thanks for explaining that. I think that's a great context for moving forward from here just because of how contrasted some of what you're gonna say is gonna be from a lot of the people who listen to my podcast or where they're coming from. So you guys, just like a little warning there, like. Joe, I'm hoping Joe like hits you in a way that you're like, what the? And that you get to work through that reticular activating system and the backfire effect. Get to sort through this and genuinely like get past that and listen. Is what she's saying valid? Does she have something worthwhile in this that you actually could benefit from and would bring wholeness and constructive contribution to your world? So Joe, for context, I know you've told your story probably so many times, but I'd, for the sake of the, this new audience here, I'd love for them to get to hear some of your story. I know you can kind of highlight the things that you feel like are relevant, you know, moving forward with where we're going, but just, yeah, who are you? How'd you get into this work? What was that journey like? What were you like noticing? What kind of problems did you recognize? Why did you end up in the work you're doing now? What's Let's hear it. So I'm Colombian. I was born and raised in Colombia uh, and I went to school in Colombia. I went to a secular school, but I studied um, what here the translation would be English, but of course it was in Spanish. There is called literature. So I got my bachelor's in literature and my minor was um, biblical narratives, but it was not looked at from a theological perspective because this was a secular school. It was looked at from a literary perspective. So what are these, what is this literature that is in here? What is the purpose of having this literature? Why is it important? And we looked at many different things, not just, not just Christian biblical um, 
narratives, but different biblical narratives. And a lot of my teachers were actually Jewish. And the way in which Jewish people read the Bible is so different than the way in which Christians read it. And it's beautiful. So from the moment that I was already in school getting my bachelor's, I was learning to read the Bible with a little bit of a different lens. I wasn't reading it to find the word of God in it. I was reading it to try to find what the original hearers wanted to communicate. Um, like, what were they writing about? Why were they writing that? And that was really helpful as I moved to the U.S. I became an intern at an evangelical church, and I was both hired by the church and an intern. So I was there every day, all day. I opened the church and I closed the church. I was there at 6 a.m. and 11 p.m. Uh, and I was also an immigrant. So, you know, like my visa, like visa issues and all of that made it even more so that I was working all the time. And um, I started taking classes with Oral Roberts University to be able to get ordained here. So I started taking all of those classes and a lot of the theology was a little bit different than when I had been exposed to. Um, so I had been exposed to a little bit more of Catholic theology and uh, Pentecostal too, but some of this evangelical theology was a lot more intense. I remember having a lot of issue with the way in which they view indigenous people and how there was no way that indigenous people could have been saved before colonization. And I kept thinking, I mean, thousands of thousands of thousands of years of people absolutely unaware of this Jesus person. You believe all of them are in hell for no good reason. <laughs> like they didn't do anything necessarily bad. It didn't matter how they lived. What matters is that they had no awareness of this Jesus. And so we had a lot of conversations like that, but I started being the problematic student that was asking questions that she shouldn't have been asking. And I learned quickly to be quiet. It's what I told you, your nervous system is incredible and it wants to protect you. So I learned it's better to be quiet because if you ask too many questions, you are the problematic person. I have this personality where if I'm curious about something, I dive in until I fully, completely understand it. So I started diving into the Bible, reading it with this new lens that they were giving me inside of evangelicalism very um I, I was reading every day all the time journaling it's really funny when people think that I walked away from evangelical Christianity for lack of intentionality or for not being all in it's it's absolutely the opposite it's my apps my being all in my reading all the time my studying a lot that caused me to walk away so I moved then to San Diego I started uh, help start a church when you say walk away what do you mean by walk away I walked away from evangelical Christianity. It meant that here I was, so moved to San Diego, helped plant a church. I was being exploited in that church, just like I was being exploited in the church as an intern, um, working a lot, not getting paid enough. At my highest, I was getting paid $700 a month and I was working 60 hours a week. I have a master's degree, mind you not, in ministry and theology from Point Loma Nazarene University. I was a good asset. I was a huge asset for this church. And I was getting paid $700 a month. I'm being told that I should be grateful that I was getting paid because most people work in ministry for free. And I was just so lucky that I was getting the $700. My husband was also working for the church, getting paid about $2,000 a month for full-time work as well as an ordained pastor. $2,700 a month for a couple. And we didn't have insurance. We didn't go to the doctor for 10 years because we couldn't afford it. We were working all the time and being told that we weren't doing enough. A lot of toxic ideologies about who we were, about who people were. Um, I kept asking, because my work inside of the church in Las Vegas and in San Diego involved a lot of community work. And I kept asking, why don't we use more of our budget to be able to do more community work? And they, the, the answer was always, well, if we are not converting them to Christianity, which they call saving them. I don't believe that that's saving people anymore. Uh, if we don't convert them to Christianity, then it doesn't matter that we help them in life. Like they'll just end up in hell, but having had a better life, 
And I was like, yeah, what's the problem? But they, you know, like we just kept fighting and fighting at every staff meeting. It was this fight. And I was again, the problematic person asking questions. And, um, and then they invited me to preach one time and I preached about Habakkuk. And I preached about how we always want these really neat answers from God. And we believe that God gives these really neat answers, but God doesn't do that. That's not what we get. We get complex, nuanced, difficult. And what we need to do is walk with people through all of that. And the pastor didn't like that. And so things kept just getting more and more, like we could just butting heads until I said, okay, I have to leave. And when, when I said I had to leave, he said, no, you can't. God hasn't told me that you can leave. And without my approval, you would be in rebellion because God put you under my, like I am your spiritual leader. So you know, that was hard. And we kept talking to him. And finally, he said, okay, after seven months of telling him, like, we have to go, we have to go. And this was after years of telling him we're not happy. Uh, he finally said, okay, you can go, but don't do anything stupid. And I won't either. We didn't know what he meant by that. He then told us that we were not allowed to talk. He didn't tell us directly. He had somebody else tell us that we were not allowed to talk to anybody from the church. And he told the church that we didn't want anybody to talk to us. I'm an immigrant. This is my entire life is church. I've been in the States for 10 years and all I've done is work for churches and do church work. So my entire community was gone and I was demonized. People were, he told people that we were um, just disgruntled employees that didn't like to get paid so little, but we should have just been more clear. We were. Uh, so it was just so ugly. And I was treated with contempt. My husband and I were treated with contempt. We were treated like we were, at the time I used this language, I wouldn't use it now, but I was treated like I was a leper that nobody should touch. And if they touched me, they would be contaminated too. We would, they would be the unclean ones. And I kept thinking, but Jesus touched the lepers. Why don't you use that language now? Well, because I think that we use that language without understanding what leprosy is. So I am more cautious, but the, the, the language of being unclean, uh, the language of we treat some people as unclean and then we don't want to touch them. And I have an entire, like I preach an entire sermon on, on, on what leprosy is and how we have spiritual leprosy too, but that's a whole entire subject. Um, but unclean, like we deem some people that don't agree with us or that challenge us, we deem them unclean. And we think that if we get anywhere near them, then we'll become unclean too. And we have this fear of the other. And I, I know that now, but back then it just didn't, it felt, I felt isolated. And at the time I was struggling with a lot of my beliefs. I was struggling with a lot of Christian theology, which is everything I knew. And if you've ever gone through that process, especially if it's your career, if you literally moved countries to be committed to this thing, uh, it feels like you are, I don't say this hyperbolically, I'm very cautious with my language. It feels like you're going crazy. Like you're literally losing your mind. Like you, I kept asking myself, is anything I've ever believed even true? Is anything true? I, I don't know what to do. And I was absolutely depressed, having a lot of suicidal ideation, just hoping I would die. And I think that I would have acted on those desires if it wouldn't have been because I had really small children at the time, you know, spending hours awake, uh, thinking through things. And I had been told that all the answers are in the Bible, right? And I said, well, I, I know how to read the Bible. Uh, I know how to study the Bible. I've been trained in doing that. I have all of the training to be able to study and read the Bible appropriately. So fine. You told me I'll find my answers in the Bible. I will. I will do it. And I started reading the Bible for the purpose of finding answers. So I started with Genesis. Genesis is still my favorite book of the Bible. And it took me a year to go through Genesis because I was not going to move on until I understood. Like I wanted to understand. 
So I went through the book of Genesis one chapter at a time, really slowly reading it in the original Hebrew, going through like the craziest rabbit holes and diving into anything that I needed to taking my time. And when I got to the story of Jacob, that's, that's where it hit me. I was like Jacob and I was fighting with God and I was not going to let go until God changed my name. And I was not going to let go. And I knew that that meant that I was going to have I was going to change the way I walked. He was going to dislocate a part of me. And so I did. I fought with God and I fought with divinity, as I call it now. And I, I changed, everything changed. Everything changed for me. And I started giving myself permission to say, this belief doesn't make sense to me anymore. So let me learn more. And I started reading books that I had been told that you could not read. And I started diving into the unknown and jumping into curiosity more safely because I had nothing to lose anymore, right? Uh, like my community was gone, every my career was gone, everything was gone. So that having nothing to lose is sometimes a gift too, because I I could give myself permission to do whatever I wanted. So that's how I ended up in Turkey, meeting Muslim people, learning a lot from Muslim people. Uh, and I I still say to people the reason I'm still a person of faith, the reason that I still love the idea of divinity, the reason that I still consider myself a Christian, is not because of Christianity. In a, if anything, Christianity has worked really hard on making me hate it. But Muslim and Jewish theology has kept, keeps pulling me back to Christ and keeps pulling me back to the Bible and to the beauty that can be found in theology. So that's why I do the work that I do now. Um, I still believe that heaven on earth is possible. I still resonate with a lot of Christian narratives. I still love the idea of the Christ, which I don't limit to Jesus, the historical person. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I do the work of invite, sharing the tools that I've been able to acquire through all of these years of work. So I share them with people and then inviting people to imagine, a, imagine heaven on earth. What does that look like? How can we, how can we move toward that? Awesome. Okay. So you guys, I'm going to do a mini series with Joe. So we're going to conclude episode one on this series or part one. Now, Joe, thank you so much for sharing your story. You have said some things. I can hear it right now already. A couple of things you said that are going to trigger people listening like, oh, this person's a heretic. This person's, you know, whatever. Some of the verbiage you're using. The, and I know you're very thoughtful and intentional with the, the words you use because of words matter and because of what that stuff has communicated in the past and the ignorance. It's, anyway, so I get that you're saying all this stuff on purpose. And I, you guys, I understand some of the things that Joe's saying. You're like, oh, why is Mike even interviewing this person? She's not even, a, you know, I know that stuff's probably coming up. And Joe kind of addressed that from the get-go, like, hey, that stuff happens, you know. So we're going to take a break. We're going to end this episode. And then, you guys, listen, I'm going to keep talking to Joe. We're going to have some other episodes as a series here for us to unpack and dive into this stuff. So make sure you check out the other parts of this series. I'm so excited where that's going. Joe, thank you so much for being here. We'll see you guys next time. Hey, just wanted to chime in real quick. Listen, deconstruction is not for the faint of heart. It takes a lot of work. It takes resilience. We probably need some help around us, support to keep us from going crazy. I totally get it. So if that's you, I wanted to let you know about a couple of solutions available over in my world in case you needed some support or help along your deconstruction journey. So first of all, I want to make sure you know about Numa Plus. We have a deconstruction series that's available on there where I help with some intro dialogue, some questions to be asking, some things to consider, some talking points, some teaching that can hopefully help answer some questions, maybe provide some questions, hopefully validate and affirm your own process, but ultimately just to be there to support you in this journey. 
but then to an even greater degree, I have a mentorship group called Ashes. This is specifically for people who are deconstructing. Most of the people in this group have been people who were raised in Christianity, who have been cultured in a community of faith, have a deep value for God and love and truth, but have recognized that there's a system of oppression in the church that we've had to divest from, that there are ideas in the theology we were raised in that are actually not serving us anymore and are actually really harmful to the world. And that's a lot of things to have to sort through and detangle and things to separate and not throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? I get it. So if that's you and you would love some support and be with like-minded people going on that same journey, Ashes is for you. Join us. The links are provided below. I know Joe has provoked a lot of things in this episode. I want to make sure you don't feel like just splayed open. There are answers, there are solutions, there's help for you. Thanks for checking this out. See you next time. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.